Good morning. I'm Wimala and enjoying a beautiful fall day here in northern Illinois. Um, I think we're going to be finishing up in the next, just in the next few days, reading from Sharon Salzberg's book. I just want to uh, keep reading each essay. They're so good, but I'd like to move on to a different book. And this is A Heart as Wide as the World, and it's an older book of hers, and I, I, the essays are wonderful. And I would go back to these and read them, so it'd be, it's a book I really am happy to have in my library. So this is still in the uh, A Heart as Wide as the World, Stories on the Path of Loving Kindness, and we're in this second section, which is called The Practice of Transformation. And this one is called Compassion is a Verb. I might have read this before, but I don't think so. As Thich Nhat Hanh, <coughs> excuse me, the Vietnamese Zen monk points out, compassion is a verb. It is not a thought or a sentimental feeling, but rather a movement of the heart. As classically defined in Pali, compassion is the trembling or the quivering of the heart. But how do we get our hearts to do that? How do we do compassion? Compassion is born out of loving kindness. It is born knowing our oneness not just thinking about it or wishing it were so. It is born out of the wisdom of seeing things exactly as they are. But compassion also arises from the practice of inclining the mind, of refining our intention. The Dalai Lama once said, I don't know why people like me so much. It must be because I try to be compassionate, to have bodhicitta, the aspiration of compassion. He doesn't claim success. He claims a commitment to really trying. Is there a difference in quality or quantity between the compassion any of us might feel and the compassion of the Dalai Lama? Is it that he experiences more compassionate moments in a row? Or is the actual quality of compassion different? While this can be seen from many different perspectives, one traditional view would say that a moment of compassion anyone, any one of us feels is as pure, as deep, as direct as anyone else's. But what happens is that we may lose touch with it more often. We get distracted, we forget, we get caught up in something else or we confuse another feeling for the state of compassion. We might at times think that we are feeling compassion when in fact what we are feeling is fear. We may be afraid to take an action, to confront a person or a situation, to be forceful or to reach out. Under the guise of believing we are being kind and compassionate, we hold back. From the Buddhist perspective, this lack of effort to ease our own or another's suffering is seen as lack of courage because it is not easy to see lack of courage in oneself. 
we prefer to think we are being compassionate rather than afraid. Another state of mind that is often confused with compassion is guilt. When we see someone who is suffering while we are fairly happy, or if we are happy in a way that another person is not, we might inwardly feel that we do not deserve our happiness or that we should hold back our happiness out of pity for the other. But guilt in Buddhist psychology is defined as a type of self-hatred and a form and a form of anger. I'll read that sentence again. But guilt in Buddhist psychology is defined as a type of self-hatred and a form of anger. Certainly there are times when we recognize that we have acted unskillfully and we feel concern and remorse. This kind of remorse can be important and healing. This is in contrast to the guilt we feel as a state of contraction in which we endlessly review what we might have done or said in the past. In this state of guilt, we become center stage rather than acting to serve others. We act to get rid of the guilt and thus only serve ourselves. Guilt drains our energy, whereas compassion gives us a strength to reach out to help others. In order to let go of the feelings of fear and guilt and move into true compassion, we need to see without hesitation whatever we may be feeling or doing. One of the virtues of awareness is that we can simply look without judgment at what we are actually experiencing. Let me read that sentence again. I got a little distracted. One of the virtues of awareness is that we can simply look without judgment at what we are actually experiencing. Not being afraid of our fear or guilt, we can say, oh yes, that's fear, that's guilt, that's what's happening right now. And then we can reestablish our intention to be compassionate. When we practice compassion, we may make the mistake of trying to lay a veneer of caring on top of whatever we are actually feeling. I mustn't feel fear. I mustn't feel guilt. I must only feel compassion because that is my dedication. It is important to remember, though, that the clarity at the heart of compassion comes from wisdom. We don't have to struggle to be someone we are not, hating ourselves for our confused feelings. Seeing clearly what is happening is the ground out of which compassion will arise. What is most important is the mind's unshakable intention to see through to the root of suffering. We need strength, courage, and wisdom to be able to open so deeply. And then the compassion can come forth. The state of compassion is whole and sustaining. The compassionate mind is not broken or shattered by facing states of suffering. It is spacious and resilient. 
Compassion is nourished by the wisdom of our interconnectedness. This understanding transcends a martyrdom in which we habitually think only of others, never caring about ourselves. And it transcends a self-centered caring in which we have concern only about ourselves and never bother about others. Wisdom of our interconnectedness arises hand in hand with learning to truly love ourselves. The Buddha said that if we truly loved ourselves, we would never harm another. For in harming another, we diminish who we are. When we can love ourselves, we give up the idea that we do not deserve the love and attention we are theoretically willing to give to others. By bringing awareness to the truth of the present moment, and also holding a vision of our heart's deepest wish to be loving toward all, we establish our dedication to compassion. Perhaps a shining man manifestation of compassion in the Dalai Lama is a reflection not only of the number of moments he is compassionate, or of how those moments transform the quality of his presence, but also a reflection of his complete confidence in the possibility and importance of being a truly loving person. I really like that, that the, the um, manifestation of compassion can be, and probably is for the Dalai Lama, a reflection of his complete confidence in the possibility and importance of being a truly loving person. Now, a lot of us don't have that confidence that that's possible. Uh, sometimes we think it's impossible even to, to have a measure of loving kindness for all beings. But... Complete confidence in the possibility and importance of being a truly loving person. That's real important a connection to the Buddhist teachings. So I think what I'll do is read uh, uh, tomorrow, maybe read one or two from the last section called Living with Wisdom and Compassion. So many good ones, but maybe we'll read... Uh, Well, they're really good ones. So we'll read. We'll read maybe two tomorrow, and uh, and see. That might be the the last we do from this book. <laughs> it just got so many good ones. Here's one. I'll read this today. It's from this new section, "Living with Wisdom and Compassion." because I think it fits in with, uh, it even fits in with one on compassion. The happiness of giving. A friend of mine had a grandfather who immigrated to America around the turn of the century. This man, like many others from Eastern Europe, arrived in New York by boat and ended up on Ellis Island. He had made the journey with a dear friend of his 
whose destination was a different part of the United States. They loved each other very much, and before parting company, they wanted to give each other something as a remembrance. However, both had absolutely nothing but the clothing they wore. Neither of them had any possessions to give to the other until they found one thing. Each unclipped his own name tag with his new American name written on it and gave this to the other. By exchanging their names, their actual identities, they were in a way sharing their unknown futures. They would remain connected through all of the possibilities that were to unfold through the coming generations. I love this story because it is so wonderfully, because it so wonderfully expresses the fact that we all have something we can offer and that the greatest gift is our willingness to connect with someone else's life, to care about them. Generosity is born of our spirit and has little to do with whether or not we have material goods to give. In India and Burma, I was the recipient of incredible generosity from many people who had very little materially to offer. Some cultures, on the other hand, are rich in material goods and more reticent in giving. A recent story has shown that Los Angeles, with one of the highest percentages of wealthy citizens, falls very near the bottom in measures of philanthropy. Minneapolis, which is a fairly mid middle-class city, is at the top of that list. The generosity that we are all capable of is a matter of the heart. The Buddha said that no true spiritual life is possible without this kind of generous heart. Generosity, the Buddha taught, is the primary quality of an awakened mind. The practice of generosity frees us from the sense of isolation that arises from clinging and attachment. When we believe we are alone, our hearts constrict. Then it is difficult to feel good about ourselves and we think that we have nothing special to offer. Further, because we are looking outside ourselves for something or someone to give us a sense of completion, we miss the degree to which we are already whole and complete. When the intention to give arises in us, there is often a feeling of fear that is revealed as well. There might be fear of our own lack of abundance or of our gifts being dismissed. We may think, I have nothing that is worth anything to give anybody. Or, once I win the lottery, I can be generous, but I can't possibly give anything at all right now. With mindfulness, however, we can see that our fears are transparent. They have no unyielding solidity, and they do not need to hold us back. When we see that these fears are conditioned thoughts that need not determine our actions, we start to see the extraordinary capacity of generosity that is in us. True giving is a thoroughly joyous thing to do. We experience happiness when we form the intention to give in the actual act of giving and in the recollection of the fact that we have given. 
Generosity is a celebration. When we give something to someone, we feel connected to them, and our commitment to the path of peace and awareness deepens. The movement of the heart as we practice generosity in the outer world mirrors the movement of the heart when we let go of conditioned views about ourselves on our inner journey. Letting go creates a joyful sense of space in our minds. In this way, our inner work and our outer work join together to create a generosity of the spirit that is the expression of freedom. So let's sit now. So let your body be, be awake and relaxed at the same time. So we can be relaxed, but if we keep our spine straight and lifted in any posture that we're in, uh, that can help us remember to stay awake. We're not being slouchy, we're being mindful, we're being attentive. Then just become aware of the breath. Relax your body. Notice the breath as you inhale and again as you exhale. your awareness come back to the breath whenever you become distracted just be aware of all the things coming to you through your sense doors we close our eyes just to cut out a little bit of the distraction but we still see color inside our eye eyelids. Be aware also of your thoughts because our mind is one of our senses in, the, in Buddhist teachings. So we can be aware of thoughts arising. We don't try to repress them. We let them come. But then we don't need to Focus on those thoughts. We don't need to be distracted by them. Like everything else we're experiencing through our senses, we can see the thought arise and then be aware of it falling away. Just watch it come and watch it go. We don't need to cling to our thoughts. We don't need to make stories out of them. But right now we can just allow them to come and go.
we can be aware of how the air feels on our skin. With fall coming, the contact my skin makes with the air is a little cold. Even the inside of my clothes feel cold against my body. That can be pleasant or an unpleasant feeling. But just be aware of the contact between your senses and the outside world. Be aware of anything you may smell. It may be a beautiful fragrance. Or it may be a cooking smell that you don't recognize or don't enjoy. See if you can just be aware of smelling. You may taste a sip of water that you just had or tea or coffee. So you can taste that or you may have a dry mouth and you can feel that, you can almost taste it. We hear sounds, even if we're in a enclosed building, we hear sounds coming from heating or cooling. Some sounds are pleasant, some are unpleasant. Try just to be aware of sound without any judgment, without a reaction to it, just take it in. Let your hands relax in your lap. And you can be also aware, without judging again, anything rising in your body. to pay attention to your entire body without being judgmental, without creating stories.
Notice if you're relaxed. If you find that you've been distracted by thoughts or story in your head. Anything about the past or the present. Just come back to your breath. So now as we end our time together, if you can keep sitting, that would be great. Just extend that time with yourself. May everything that we do and say and think today not only be done for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of those around us and for all other living beings. So thank you. Thank you for sharing my practice. And I'll be with you tomorrow.